Good evening and thank you for joining us. I'm Ed Hand, your host for tonight's unpublished TV panel discussion. Our topic tonight, the need for tougher whistleblower protection for long-term care workers. However you're watching and listening to our show, whether through our social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, or on our podcast channels, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more, I'd like to remind you, you can cast your vote on this topic at unpublished.vote and then email your MP and tell them why. Our question this week, do you think all employees of long-term care homes should have whistleblower protection? Overwhelmingly, 98.8% of our viewers say yes. Just 1.2% said no, uh, said unsure. At no one said no. At unpublished.vote, you will find our podcast on this issue, as well as articles, opinion pieces, and research on the various views about whistleblower protection for long-term care workers. So let's get started on this very important issue. Joining us this evening, Joel Harden is the MPP for Ottawa Centre. Alan Cutler is the president of Anti-Corruption and Accountability Canada. You might know him from the sponsorship scandal. John Fraser is the Ottawa South MPP. And David Hutton is with the Center for Free Expression at Ryerson University. And uh, gentlemen, uh, thank you uh, all for joining us on such a, a very important topic. And and let's start with uh, Kathy Folks, the patient ombudsman. Um, John, calls for enhanced whistleblower protection for long-term care workers. Uh, obviously, they don't have it right now. What do they need? Well, what they, they need they need to have whistleblower protection just essentially to, uh, well, first of all, to end the culture of non-reporting because that exists inside homes where people feel concerned about the repercussions. Uh, not only staff, uh, but also families sometimes feel that the care may in fact impact uh, their family member if they complain or say there's a problem. You know, it's, um, it, it, you know, I was really pleased to see that the Long-Term Care Commission granted um, essentially anonymity to uh, nurses and PSWs and anyone else in uh, who are working in long-term care to uh, be able to testify and uh, say tell what they've seen. Uh, that's the only way uh, that we can get to uh, a situation where we can fix long-term care. Uh, there's some really serious challenges in there and uh, without whistleblower protection, uh, you're gonna get um, a culture of non-reporting and uh, and I, I think it's critical that, uh, as Kathy Fox said, that uh, that needs to be there. And uh, I think it's good advice. And uh, I hope that uh, the government will follow that. A, a culture of non-reporting, that's, uh, that's very interesting. Now, now, David, when you've got people who are testifying at, at the commission who are got protection, it seems it's a bit unfair that the rest of them don't have that protection, right? Well, absolutely. And the, the, the simple way to address this is to provide whistleblower protection for Canadians. You know, that's the simple way of doing this. And this is what they have in some other countries. Uh, rather than if you go down the route of giving whistle protection for this group and then that group, you end up with a fragmented mess where there's all kinds of opportunities for people to fall between the cracks. And so what we really need is for the federal government to step up to the plate and put in place proper whistleblower protection. And, and I should add that to put this in perspective, Canada is one of the worst countries in the world for, whistle, for failing mm -hmm. to protect whistleblowers. There's uh, work going on at the moment, which will be published soon, uh, looking at all, all countries. I think there's about 65 countries now have some kind of a national whistleblower protection law. And Canada ranks at the bottom, literally at the bottom of that list in terms of the ineffectiveness of what we've got in place. 
Joel, what does that tell you about Canada and and whistleblower protection then when you hear that from David? Well, I think there's an upside and a downside to the faith Canadians have in their institutions. I think we're proud of a lot of our institutions. We're proud of public Medicare. We're proud of, um, you know, unemployment insurance. We're proud of the CPP. These are historic achievements won by generations of Canadians, some of whom will be celebrating soon, Ed, on Mm -hmm. Remembrance Day. But the downside of that is sometimes we don't have enough scrutiny of some of these institutions when they're taking advantage of people. And just to be very clear, I know we're talking about whistleblower protection, but we're talking also about some of the most powerful lobbies in the province of Ontario. We're talking about for-profit companies, long-term care, 58% run by big for-profit companies with intimate ties to government, some of the slickest lobbyists in the province of Ontario. So that's when when, um, I got up in the legislature not long ago to ask a question and question period on this matter. And the minister, my neighbor, Minister Fullerton, said, actually, it's fine. People have whistleblower protection under Section 26 of the Long-Term Care Act. I I can see David smiling. What's true is that that applies when there's an investigation going on. But what what people who work in this sector tell us in our office, Ed, is that infractions and awful circumstances pre-existed COVID for a long time, and they've been made a lot worse in this moment. And at the very moment, when we needed people to be able to have the comfort and security to blow the whistle, they didn't feel safe to do so. It took the Canadian forces Mm -hmm. to come in and tell us the truth. And now we have the commission. It's not a public inquiry, which is what we wanted, but it's something and they're digging into it. But even today we have the highest officials in this province telling personal support workers, community care nurses, administrators, all the people in this sector, don't worry, you're covered and they're not. So I'm glad we have your show as an opportunity to say what what David has said and what so many others have said. We need bona fide protection for all frontline workers. I agree. Now, Alan, uh, you uh, and your organization ended up putting forward some recommendations to the federal government and the provinces regarding whistleblower protection. When This is back in the spring when things were starting to get a little hot, was it not? <laughs> yes, and we recommended we would be on line with David that there has to be broad whistleblowing protection for everybody. But when we put it forward, we said they have to be able to come forward it, because the co- concern is long-term care right this minute. But the truth is, this is just one issue of a big issue. But in long-term care, yes, if you've got to be able to come forward and tell people when you see something wrong without fear of losing your job, without fear of retaliation. Um <laughs> There's so many downsides to trying to speak the truth that uh, it's amazing that anybody does. Yeah, do the right thing. People do not do the right thing or they want to, but there's a huge fear out there that's still there. No government in this country has passed effective legislation for whistleblowing. The federal government legislation is extremely weak. The provincial, the liberal provincial government, and I'm not picking on liberals, it doesn't matter what political stripe was in, but they passed a whistleblowing law that was extremely weak in the province, and it needs to be, as we've heard, strengthened enormously. And the parties in power, for whatever reason, never seem to want to do the right thing. 
It's the ones who are in opposition who want to do the right thing. And maybe Deva can speak to that. <laughs> well, okay. First off, uh, we've got a comment, actually. We've got uh, comments and questions coming from viewers on YouTube as well as Facebook Live. And this is from Karen. And it, it's more a statement. She was a whistleblower at a long-term care home she worked at and lost her job. She reported severe abuse issues and have been a lone wolf fighting ever since to protect individuals involved in this sector. And, and, and you have to wonder, John, knowing that the dangers involved with being a PSW, especially in COVID, is, is very, very substantial. But when you look at the fact you've got no protection and we saw those stories about no masks or masks were on lockdown, that kind of thing. You know, is this, is this part of that culture you were talking about of non-reporting? Well, I, I think, yeah, there's fear of reprisal. Mm. Uh, and as I said, it's, you know, it, you know, if you can imagine um, having a job where you're um, maybe making minimum wage or a bit above 19 wage, 19, 20 dollars an hour. Um, but it's not a full-time job. You don't have benefits, um, and uh, you're you're run off your feet. Right? Mm -hmm. Often you're in a situation where staff uh, staffing there's not enough staff, so people are not replaced when they're sick. Um, and and then when things go wrong, uh, you um, you're afraid to speak up because you, you've got to keep that job because you've got two other jobs. You've cobbled together two or three jobs. So you know it, it's you know it is no wonder that we have a challenge recruiting uh, uh, health you know, PSWs and other healthcare uh, professionals to, uh, to long-term care. Uh, it's, um, you know, it, it you know, it, you know, I, Alan said, you know, it's long-term care right mm -hmm. now and I agree, but it's long-term care right now. And what COVID has revealed is the vulnerabilities that exist in long-term care and just actually how vulnerable the residents are. And, you know, it's um, uh, it's you know, if you take a look at there are so many rules and regulations in long term care uh, that uh, that dictate uh, how it's almost like a franchise agreement. And so uh, there's a lot of um, there are a lot of laws around that. And in terms of your responsibility to report, but yet still people are saying, uh, I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel safe. Mm -hmm. So if I, if I could yeah. jump in, David, go ahead. No problem. Yeah, sure. just building on the point about this culture. Um, you're right. You can. You, we've got the situation that there's a general feeling it's not safe to come forward. But um, you know, I've had long experience of taking calls and trying to help whistleblowers going back many, many years. And in that time, I've I've kept rough track. I've spoken and had dealings with more than 400 whistleblowers. And my conclusion is that. Regardless of where you look, what sector, what type of industry, what kind of profession, there are people who will come forward. There are people who it's just not in their DNA to be quiet and do nothing. Uh, when they see other people being harmed, maybe the public being harmed, they will come forward, even though they know they know they're likely going to lose their careers, their livelihood, the whole works. But, you know, when you talk to them, you say, why, why did you do this? They say, well, I, I couldn't, I had no choice. And if I hadn't, there was a price to pay there, meaning how could they look at themselves in the mirror? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so I just, yeah, yeah. yeah, one quick thing, because I know Joel sure. wants to say something about this as well, too, is 
Yeah, I, I know that in a, in a very personal way, some of those situations yeah. that people have found themselves in. And the, the, the other side to this protection for whistleblowers is the results of your whistleblowing. And if you take a look at the sanctions or lack of sanctions that have been provided to uh, or given to operators who have continually violated right and so it's like it's one thing to step forward and to take that risk you should be protected but when the end result of you reporting does not end up in a satisfactory uh, resolution uh, or even something's close to uh, a resolution then that also that's another piece of this puzzle i know we're not talking about that tonight yeah. but i think joel would probably have something to say about all that right joel jump in here well, I mean, look, I mean, at the end of the day, I understand why a lot of PSWs don't want to come forward in this moment because they've confided in me and they don't want to be public. Uh, the reason you become a PSW in the province of Ontario is because you care about people because you can't make a decent income unless you are working as staff at one of our tertiary institutions like a hospital. If you're a community care PSW visiting people in their apartments and homes. You're not paid for your travel time most of the time. You're paid for a 15-minute or a 20-minute increment where you're asked to give a senior a bath. I mean, it's it's a ridiculous industry that we've let big for-profit companies like Extendicare take over and dish out dividends to their shareholders. You know, Ed, in June, Extendicare issued a dividend of $10.7 million in the middle of a pandemic to their shareholders and 150 people died in their homes. And people watching the show in Ottawa will know that the worst epicenter of the virus mm-hmm. right now in our city is West End Villa, where 20 people have lost their lives since August and 127 people are infected. So you're a PSW. You throw yourself into this work because you care about people. But who do you see you're up against? You're up against management that run often a very top-down enterprise. It's a huge multi-million dollar company with intimate ties. The, the campaign spokesperson for the Premier at. Melissa Lantzman, in 2018, she was the premier spokesperson. She's the head lobbyist for Extendicare at the legislature right now. She registered in April to start lobbying. (laughs) So that PSWs know this. They keep in touch with each other on social media. They're extremely shrewd and smart. So I would say we're talking about whistleblower protection and PSWs need it. But the bigger piece we need to do is make personal support workers a meaningful career with full-time hours and benefits and travel covered. People have to graduate from college and university uh, knowing that this is a value profession that we will all pay appropriately. And then a lot of these other problems are going to sort themselves out. People won't need to see and do awful things because people will be getting the care they need. Yeah, I I was going to say I'd like to step in at this point in time. Because you can get paid well, but management, when they're in a for-profit situation or not-for-profit situation, will often cut corners. And you may be getting a good salary, but who cares if they want to do the wrong thing? They don't care about you. And David brought up very well about people will come forward. What I don't think David mentioned, and he probably should have mentioned, is the person who comes forward is isolated. They're, they come forward and nobody's around them <laughs> standing up with them and saying, they're right, they're right. They're there against everybody who wants to stop them. So it's, it's, it, 
you know, it's a David Goliath situation, and David is not going to win. David's well. Let's put an elephant in a mouse, and the elephant's going to step on you. <laughs> you know, There's a good analogy. That. So, so even with whistleblower protection, um, you're still going to get that uh, situation where people become isolated. Well, maybe, and, uh, maybe yeah. not. Uh, you know, far less. The, the thing is, in yeah. this country, in this country, we know so little about whistleblower protection because we haven't got any. If you look at other countries, in Europe, for example, the EU last year passed a directive which requires all member countries to write their own whistleblower laws. It's an extremely well written document, and that they will have strong whistleblower protection with it over, you know, coming into force in that, during the coming year. Uh, the the knowledge of how to put in place protections is out there. It's been out there for decades and it keeps getting better. And so we know how to protect people. And, you know, this business of being isolated, uh, one of the the features of good legislation is that when someone comes forward as a whistleblower, uh, management is now responsible to protect them. They have a pro- duty to proactively protect that person, prevent a hair on their head being harmed or any nasty things being done to them. And they are liable. They may suffer civil or criminal liability for failing in that duty to protect. I mean, that's an, just, just one example of the sorts of things that you can do with good legislation that completely turn the situation upside down. And suddenly the whistleblower is in a position of power through the information that they have and the protection they have, and the wrongdoers are uh, are being surrounded by by the legal system and by a public that's outraged now that they know what's going on. You know, so this is not a difficult problem to fix. It just needs some determination to do the right thing, and it needs a bit of expertise, which is readily available. And, and Joel, why why do you think we don't have this legislation? It, obviously, we haven't had it for a long time. Well, I mean, I think, again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, Ed, but I think we are up against some very powerful lobbies in this province. And, and I talked to somebody who's my neighbor here in Ottawa Centre, uh, Evelyn Gigantes, who at one point was the minister ah, of health in this I province. Yep. And, and she said to me candidly, Joel, uh, if the party is going to go back to the Tommy Douglas vision in this sector of let's take profit making out, let's make sure every home is well funded, let's make sure there's whistleblower protection, decent standards, uh, you are taking on a huge fight. But it doesn't mean we don't do it. I mean, I think we absolutely are compelled to do it. If not for Karen, who commented on your YouTube feed, mm. who, who was sacrificed in this moment. And thank you, Karen, for speaking truth to power. Uh, you know, we if we had a woman PSW on our conversation with us right now, I, it, it, she could be um, obscured, which seems to be the normal thing. You, you speak through a filter because you're afraid of your identity being found. Yes. Every time I saw the CBC Marketplace story, I see those stories, you know, I... I can't tell you what, I mean, I'll, I'll save the gory stuff, but I've heard PSWs tell me that despite their fatigue, despite their uh, emotional trauma that they carry around with them, they keep going back to work because they have a stake in that person's life. They have a stake in that person's life and they're going to put up with an enormous amount of nonsense because they feel that if they don't, because remember the private caregivers from families have only recently been allowed back in a little bit up until then it was only the PSWs largely and other professions looking after people. So, so really we're up against a big industry that doesn't want to change. Uh, We are thankful for all the hard work of largely women PSWs who have been out there 
putting up with this nonsense for too long. But now we're, we're, you know, now we have a moment, I think, where we can have a discussion as a province about what kind of whistleblower protection we can put in place, not just for this sector, but for all sectors. I take what Alan and David have said seriously, but what kind of, how do we want to look after our elders and people with disabilities in this province? Do we really want Mm. this situation where people are issuing dividends to shareholders at a time when people are dying in homes? Like let's, let's, uh, let's make sure the regulations fit. Let's make sure people have rights on the job and, and let's, let's make sure it's the people of Ontario that decide the standards in these industries, not, not these lobbyists. No, exactly. And, and you know, when, when we look at the, 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 the PSWs and, and obviously it's not the most lucrative industry to be in, but boy, you've got to have a huge, huge heart to do what you do. And, you know, when, when you put that much out for it, yeah, you're putting your life on the line there, John, uh, some people, you, you have to wonder, for, especially for young people looking for a career, it's like, well, why would I go into that when I've got zero protection and, and uh, I'm unappreciated unless I, you know, the premier decides he wants to say, i am got this iron ring around you, we're going to protect you. It's, it's a really hard job. And, I, I, and, and, uh, and, and the risk that you take and the, um, uh, just, you know, just the instability of the work the lack of benefits. Um, I, I think for a lot of young people, they, you know, they, and I've heard this, you know, from people who've gone in through training is they go in and they get in for three or four months and they go, it's not for me. So obviously the environment, you know, needs to be one that uh, is supportive of providing care, which means enough care, enough time to do the work. I mean, you want to be able to do a good job and uh, that they are paid and they have benefits and they have some stability. They have full-time jobs, as, as Joel said, you know, it's, it's, it, I remember a friend of mine saying to me, it's amazing how important that person who's caring for your mother is because you can't. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, it's always stuck with me. And so, and I, and I do, you know, I, you know, I, I know we're talking about whistleblower protection, but I want to echo something that, that Joel said, you know, it's, there's a lot of challenges in long-term care homes uh, and they need better leadership right? and we need to change what we're doing. But right now, there are thousands and thousands of people providing incredible care in very difficult circumstances. So, you know, we have these conversations in Joel, you know, where we have to talk about things that aren't working right and they need to be fixed. But we need to remind ourselves that there are a whole bunch of people there trying to do the right thing. And that's why we're talking about whistleblower protection. And, and you know, that, that'll be another thing, I think, that will help to recruit. We're having a real yeah. challenge recruiting people. That's and, exactly. Uh, well, why would you get, why would you get into it when there's when financially it's not worth? I, you can have the biggest heart in the world, but if you can't pay the bills, you're not going to do it. And if you're putting your life on the line every day, dealing with a pandemic, you know you're you're going to look at something else. You're going to look at something. Else. I should I should mention here. Uh, back in the spring uh, when the COVID started, we talked to a PSW from Ottawa. Uh, she went to, she went to different uh, houses and homes. She contracted COVID nineteen, and and she. And you can go back on the unpublished uh, unpublished cafe and take a listen. But uh, her story is is quite riveting about uh, what had happened and and how she got through it and and back, which was was good. Uh, Alan, I, I do have a question for you though. It, it seems, in terms of whistleblower protection, there is a little bit in the public sector, but there's nothing in the private sector, is there? Uh, they claim there is. Um, I've dealt with a lawyer who says labor law is sufficient. Um, I don't believe it. I know David doesn't. Um, 
David typifies as, as being down at the bottom in terms of whistleblowing protection. When I've been giving speeches, what I have just simply said is Canada is a third world country when it comes to protecting yeah. people. Yeah. Um, and, and if that's not down at the bottom, I don't know what is. But yeah, in the private sector, there's really no major protection. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there is, if you if you want the best protection in Canada that we have, and mm-hmm. David can dis- dispute me if he wants, the best protection we have in Canada is Sarbanes-Oxley, which is the U.S. law. If you're in private sector working in a company allied to the states, putting down to the states, you're protected under U.S. law better than you are protected in any Canadian law. Yeah, yeah that's uh, there's uh, truth in that. Uh, unfortunately, you have to establish a pretty strong uh, nexus with, with the U.S. for that to come into effect. But just to build on what Alan it's a, saying, it's a It's a tragedy, though, David. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the, just to build on what Alan is saying, a more accurate way of describing the situation is that whistleblower protection is essentially non-existent in Canada. Now, people, lawyers, people write about, people will point you to stuff written down. They'll point you to the criminal code. They'll point you here and there and say, look, it's written here. But when you look at what actually goes on, you're hard-pressed to find a single person in the whole of Canada who's come out of a whistleblower situation in one piece. And something else, in the decade or so I've been working in this area, I have yet to hear or learn of a single case where anyone has been punished for taking reprisals against a whistleblower. I don't think, I don't believe it's ever happened. And we're talking about reprisals that are vicious, sustained, calculated, calculated to destroy people mentally, financially. Uh, you know, this, mm-hmm. these are criminal acts in their own right. Uh, you know, putting aside the harm to the public that's being done by the initial wrongdoing. But you know, those things you mentioned, is there not, uh, is there, are they not crimes as well? Some of those reprisals, uh, you know, we, we talk about bullying in the workplace now. That becomes a, that, that's a firing offense. Well, well I'm go- oh, I'm going to jump in on this one. <laughs> sure. Because how do you prove it? The people who have all the power can hide all the records. You're the you're the person saying, "Look what's happening to me." How do you prove it? Mm-hmm. The proof is sitting there with the power, and he, you're pretty powerless if they want to get you. Yeah, it, it almost sounds, and I think we heard this earlier: a change of culture. Uh, I don't think uh, John, you might have mentioned that, but a change of culture in the whole industry. Because personally, I don't think. This is an industry or a, I don't even want to call it an industry because it just takes the humanity out of it, is something where you have to pay full attention to these people. You cannot, you cannot let this go. That's, to me, I, I just can't understand where this is going here. Yeah, Ed, I would say that uh, if you want a change of culture, change the law. Yeah. You know, and the culture will follow. If you, if you create the, leg- the legislative environment where there are, serious consequences for taking reprisals against whistleblowers and the wrongdoing is going to come out, you'll find that culture changes pretty darn quickly. Uh, you know, it's it's just like the companies follow the profit. Uh, they follow incentives. And if, if we have good laws in place, you'll see a very rapid change in many, many areas, including this one. Joel? Uh, I, 
Oh, go ahead, Joel. Go ahead, John. Well, I mean, uh, I, just gonna, go, ahead, go ahead, John. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. So I'll just go about really quick. Um, I, I agree with you to a certain extent, uh, but the cult, you know, who does this institute these places serve? Right? Should be serving the residents. They should be the residents. They yep. serve the community. And so I think one of the critical changes and it, that needs to happen is the connection between long-term care and community um, is, I don't want to say blocked, but with the, with private industry in there, um, there's little community involvement. And these institutions, well, they serve, you know, the residents' needs, the need for profit, right? Yeah. You know, like, this is what they're there for. When this takes away from that, um, that's not what we, that's mm-hmm. not what we intended as a province or we want, I don't think. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'll leave it at that. And Joel has something to say. So. Uh, yeah, and Joel, okay, go we're, ahead, Joel. We're not making iPods here. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> we're trying to look after people. And, and, you know, I'm a political descendant of Tommy Douglas. I, I believe this is a sector which shouldn't be commodified that when it comes to, and it's not just seniors, of course, Ed, it's, it's people with disabilities. There's a mm-hmm. lot of different folks that need assisted living. And when, when it comes to their needs, we shouldn't be asking the ministry of health to pay a third party 32 or $34 an hour for a worker who ends up getting 14. That just makes absolutely no sense. It's, it's, it's gluttony in the extreme to my mind. So no. we, we, we want to take this industry in a completely different direction where we say, look, you want this contract renewed, you're going to be doing it on a nonprofit or a public basis. And I like the idea that David and Alan have put forward saying, okay, well, that's one piece, but you also have to make sure there are, there are regulatory regimes in which workers can come forward and complain because just because someone's getting a decent salary doesn't mean there are problems going on in the workplace. So yeah. they have to have that comfort. And I, and I would say to any PSW watching this, I'm not going to advocate for any particular organization, you should think of forming a union. The, the PSWs that have had the most ability to push back in this moment, this COVID moment, Ed, mm-hmm. have been those that are organized. And and they and that sector is a growing sector. But all of these things taken together is what I see in other countries where there's much better standard of care for the residents and for the care workers. They have all those pieces figured out. There's no profiteering. There's good regulations. And, and there's some thought going into how we expand this industry, too. Gentlemen, uh, our time is up. Uh, I guess we could talk whistleblower all night, but uh, unfortunately we can't. I want to thank you for uh, for joining. It was a great conversation, very good conversation. I, I hope they're paying attention, uh, well, at Queen's Park regarding this one right now. I want to thank our panel for this evening, Joel Harden, Ottawa Centre MPP, Alan Cutler, President, Anti-Corruption and Accountability Canada, John Fraser is the MPP for Ottawa South, and David Hutton is with the Centre for Free Expression at Ryerson University. This has been a difficult and and a bit ironic today. The last two and a half years, my my wife and I have been dealing with the hurdles of home care and long-term care as we were taking care of her father. And it's been eye-opening and aggravating at the same time. And it came to an end yesterday when he passed to 91. I guarantee you, this issue is one I will not cease to hound until there is respect for residents and those taking care of them. Coming up next week on the Unpublished TV, we'll take a look at the U.S. election and the impact on Canada-U.S. relations. I expect fireworks. Warren Kinsella will join us. Thanks for watching Unpublished TV. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.